0: to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with a prayer for defense as we pick up in Psalm chapter 20, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck.
1: Psalm 20 is to the chief musician also. It is the Psalm of David, the Lord hear thee, In the day of trouble Actually Jehovah May Jehovah hear you in the day of trouble The name of the God of Jacob Which is Jehovah Or Yahweh Defend thee Send thee help from the sanctuary And strengthen thee out of Zion Remember all thy offerings And accept thy burnt sacrifice In other words may the Lord hear you The name of the Lord Or Jehovah The name of the God of Jacob Defend you May he send help And strengthen you And remember or take notice of all your offerings And accept your burnt sacrifice May he grant thee according to your own heart That is the desires of your heart And fulfill all of your counsel We will rejoice in thy salvation And in the name of our God Yahweh or Jehovah We will set up our banners For Jehovah fulfill all Your request. Now know I that Jehovah saves his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of Jehovah our God. They are brought down, those that are trusting in horses and chariots, and they are fallen. But because we've trusted in the name of the Lord, we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. Again to the chief musician, the psalm of David, The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord. And in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, that you have not withheld the request of his lips." Now, the law indicates really sort of a change of thought. It sort of introduces a new idea. It's just sort of a rest and then introducing of a new idea, a new thought pattern. For you prevent him with, with the blessings of goodness... You set a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked for life from thee, and you gave it to him, even the length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in thy salvation. He's talking about the king's delight in the Lord and how he uh, was just so gracious for what God has done. For thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High he shall not be moved. Your hand shall find out all of your enemies. Your right hand shall find out those that hate thee. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger, and the Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire shall devour them. And their fruit will he will destroy from the earth and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. They imagine mischievous devices that they are not able to perform. Therefore thou shalt make them to turn their back when thou shalt make ready your arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. Be thou exalted, Lord, in your own strength, and so will we sing of thy praise and thy power. Psalm 22 is one of those prophetic psalms which stands out probably among all of the messianic psalms. This psalm is... Again, a Psalm of David, and it is a very graphic description of death by crucifixion. Now, at the time that David wrote this, stoning was the method of capital punishment. Actually, it was. Almost a thousand years later that crucifixion was introduced by the Romans as a form of capital punishment. So that David would describe death by crucifixion is sort of a miracle in itself. And yet inspired by the Holy Spirit he wrote graphically of the death of Jesus Christ. The very first phrase of this psalm was quoted by Jesus on the cross. As Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that cry of Jesus from the cross, we understand more completely the agony in the garden as he was seeking to, if possible, escape the cross. For in the garden we read that he was praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. And that thrice-repeated prayer in the garden, sweating as as it were great drops of blood to the ground, the agony of Christ in the garden is explained by the cry of Christ on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he was forsaken of God for a moment. And the reason for his being forsaken is given to us in this psalm in verse 3. But he was forsaken by God for a moment in order that you would not have to be forsaken by God eternally. He was forsaken by God when God placed upon him the iniquities of us all. He bore the penalty of our sin. Now, you see, sin always results in separation from God. God said to Adam, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, talking about spiritual death, where man's spirit is separated from God. Now, when the Bible talks about death as a general rule, it's talking about spiritual death, which is the separation of a man's soul and spirit from God. We talk about death when man's soul and spirit is separated from his body. But you may be walking around, all of your body, motor functions working, and seem to be very much alive, but God looks at you and says, hey, you're dead. Your soul and spirit are separated from God. Your spirit is dead. You, Paul said, hath he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so here we see when Jesus took upon himself all of our sins, Because sin does separate from God As Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 59 God's hand is not short that he cannot save Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear But your sins have separated you from God Always the result or effect of sin And so when God laid on him the iniquities of us all The cry, my God, my God Why hast thou forsaken me? So, Jesus identifies This psalm Maybe he was trying to (laughs) Give a hint to the disciples Go back home and read the psalm You'll know what's going on Read the whole thing You'll understand what's happening The rabbis would often in those days Just give you the first verse of a psalm And expect you to go home and do your homework Read the whole thing Maybe Jesus was following one of their methods, just giving them the first verse of the psalm, knowing that then they would go and search out the whole psalm. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, and thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. You remember that darkness covered the land. And so crying in the day, crying in the night, the darkness... But the reason why the separation, forsaken, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. The holy God could not be in fellowship with sin. It's impossible that a holy God be one with sin. And the word fellowship means a oneness, a community, a commonness. And when God... Placed upon Jesus, the sins of us all, it brought that separation. For thou art holy, the reason for his being forsaken. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried and they were delivered. They trusted and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man. I am a reproach of men and despised of the people. This, of course, was prophesied in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. How he would be despised and rejected of men A reproach of men, I'm despised of the people All they that see me laugh me to scorn. they shoot out the lip They shake their heads saying He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him You remember the high priest and all When Jesus was hanging on the cross They said, oh, he trusted in the Lord, deliver him Now let him come down if if he is truly the Messiah And we will worship him, you know All of these things. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. You did make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Now, again, where does consciousness or where does life begin? If there is indeed a something within the plants, of some form of primitive, maybe, understanding. Or maybe it's highly sophisticated, more highly than we are. Who knows? They have found that there is quite a consciousness of the child in the fetal state. That from the tenth week or so, the the about the twelfth week, the, the child begins to have many normal functions. Sleeping, the awake times. If the mother yells, it might wake up the child. Runs down the stairs. And at that point, it begins to recognize the mother's voice. And that is why the child is always more comfortable with the mother than even with the grandmother when it's first born. Because it's used to the mother's voice, it's been hearing it for six months. After the third month, the child begins to hear the mother's voice. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. And so it speaks really of an awareness, a consciousness. You did make me hope. When I was upon my mother's breast Be not far from me For trouble is near There is none to help Many bulls have compassed me The strong bulls of Basham Have beset me round They gaped upon me with their mouths As a ravening and a roaring lion And Now again descriptive of the cross I am poured out like water You remember when they thrust The spear in his side There came forth blood and water All my bones are out of joint One of the things that takes place during crucifixion as a person is hanging there and usually held there by the spikes, your muscles, after a while, begin to fatigue and give way. And when your muscles give way, your body begins to drop and actually the the joints, because the muscles have fatigued, the, the joints begin to, uh, your body begins to fall out of joint, actually, from the hanging there. And, and this description of all my bones are out of joint, uh, of course the excruciating pain of, your, uh, of the joints loosening often killed the prisoner. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue, that thirst, that horrible thirst that you receive when you're hanging there and through the sweat your body liquids are dissipated and then you get that horrible thirst, the dry mouth, the cotton taste. My tongue cleaves to my jaws for thou hast brought me into the dust of death for dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet now the jehovah witnesses seek to teach us that jesus was crucified on a pole that the cross is actually the pagan tau symbol, and so the church is actually worshiping a pagan symbol. They tell this to all of their poor, deceived people, and they then quote from a 16th century book and show them the pictures of this 16th century book written by a monk in which he describes the stuturo, the pole, and the many methods of crucifixion of the Roman government, and he shows the picture of this man that is crucified on a pole, his hands above his head, one spike through his hands, and then, of course, the one spike through his feet. And they say that the church, you know, in picturing Christ on a T-shaped cross, actually the pagan symbol, Tao, and the whole church is following Babylonian paganism and so forth, the whole churches is Babylon. We are the only ones that tell you the truth and all. And they deceive the people. It is interesting that in the New Testament it speaks about the nails, plural, in his hand. In his hands, actually, the nails, plural. In his hands. They pierced my hands and my feet. What the Jehovah Witnesses didn't tell the people that this same 16th century author and the book that they take the picture from, and they quote him, supposedly translating the Latin that is there. They don't tell the people that they have mistranslated the Latin that is there. And on two pages further on the book, he has the T-shaped cross And he says, this, no doubt, is the kind of the cross that Jesus was crucified on because it refers to their nailing the nails through his hands and his feet. And and they don't tell the people that they have deceived them. They've taken one page of the book, mistranslated the Latin from it, and a couple of pages later, the same author in the same book shows the type of a cross that we usually Think of when we think of the cross And and says this no doubt Is the the shape of the cross That Jesus was crucified on But that's what I say They are I feel sorry for the people that are deceived It's the leaders in New York That are going to have to really Answer answer to God For the deception of these poor people Around the United States Keeping them in deception and darkness My heart goes out to them I may tell all my bones for they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now you remember when Jesus was crucified, they, they tore his garment and divided it into four. But with the coat, they said, oh, this coat is nice. It's been woven all the way from the top to the bottom without any seam. Let's not tear it. Let's, let's divide this. Or let's cast lots to see who this will be. So, here it was prophesied. Now, Schoenfeld, who is called a scholar by many of those men who like to pat each other on the back and tell each other how brilliant they are, declared that that the whole Passover, crucifixion of Jesus, was a gigantic plot that Jesus set up. And that the disciples had spiked the vinegar that they finally put to his lips to put him in a swoon so that they would think that he was dead. And that after they had buried him, of course, the disciples came and and whisked him away. And it was just all a big plot. And Jesus set the whole thing up. He deliberately angered them. He deliberately set the whole thing up so that he actually plotted the whole crucifixion, everything else, and it was just a a big, gigantic plot of Jesus. Well, it, it was very ingenious of Jesus to somehow get the soldiers to go along with the plot and not to tear his robe, but to cast lots for it. That was very clever of him indeed. And even to get the high priest to go along and say, oh, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he's, you know, if he's the son of God, then let him come down. He said he delights in him. Okay, if God wants him, you know, let him save him. We'll all believe him. Scomfield just turns out to be a liar like so many others. And his book a fraud. And it turns out that Scomfield's book is the fraud, not Jesus. As is always the case. But in one sense, of course, it was a plot. And Jesus was a part of the plot. It was a plot that was hatched by God before the foundations of the earth. For Christ was crucified from the foundations of the earth. You, according to God's predetermined counsel and foreknowledge, with your wicked hands, have crucified and slain. You see, when Peter talks about the cross, he talks about prophecy, the foreknowledge of God. Yes, it was a plot. God plotted it a long time ago, and Jesus carried it out. But it's your salvation, and it's my salvation. But be not far from me, O Lord, my strength. Haste thee to help thee. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. We'll return with more of our verse by
0: verse Bible study in the book of Psalms on our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Psalm 20 through 22 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription.
1: May He keep you in His love and in His grace. We look forward to our gathering together again on many occasions this week as we learn more about God's glorious work in the past and His marvelous plans for our future. And so, God, keep you in the love of Jesus Christ and strengthen you by His Spirit in your inner man. And may He help you to begin to comprehend What is the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of His love? May God cause His grace to abound towards you through Jesus Christ our Lord.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Have
2: you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ, that it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at
0: 800-272-9673.